this actually gonna start? Why is this not? I swear to God, if this thing starts fighting with me, I'm gonna. Avengers! <laughs>
Oh my gosh. Yeah, I've I've seen your discussions on the Crystal Skull, and I don't know if we want to even get into that one right now. I'm sure we'll, uh, will. I'm following your lead at this point, um, yeah. but I'm pretty sure you're not going to like my viewpoint on that one. I want to go in hot, but I want a little bit of happiness first. So, Got it. A quick thing. Indiana Jones famously came about in 1981 with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, he was trying to get a James Bond movie. He apparently had pitched himself to the Broccoli's a few times during the Roger Moore, but they were just like, hmm. So he and Lucas kind of took a little trip together, brainstormed and said, you know, we can make our own kind of spy thing. But they also loved the serials of the 30s and 40s. Now, children, in the 30s and 40s during the Great Depression, movies used to be places you would go to get away. You would go and you would see the daily news. You would go there... You would have your popcorn. You would see some shorts. You would see Bugs Bunny and Daphne, and you would see Mickey Mouse stuff. And then you would see a movie. If it was a longer movie, like an hour and a half, like an hour and a half to two hours, they would put an intermission, and then they'd have some stuff happen. You know, typically some other little shorts. And that's actually where Batman got his first adventures. You can actually find them. I believe they're mostly public domain now. You can find Batman shorts, live action ones. They're like five to ten minutes long. The famous, most famous now that probably has any lingering presence is the Three Stooges. People still know them, and that's what those Three Stooges were. They're between eight to sometimes 20 minutes long. They're either before a movie, sometimes in the middle. And they were so popular, people would actually go to movies to see, go to a movie because they knew a new Three Stooges was coming out. It'd be kind of like a... Um, there was a fa- there's a few times, but there's a few movies that overperformed at the box office, and it's because people went to see the trailer for a movie. Most famously is, I don't remember the movie, but it was the Phantom Menace trailer. And some movie that it got put in front of made like $30 million, They only projected it like 10 and then the next week it made nothing. But we got Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was supposed to be Tom Selleck, but he couldn't get out of his movie contract. I mean, his TV show contract, I believe he was doing Miami, uh, not Miami Vice, um, Magnum P.I. And they wouldn't let him out of it to film it. They went with Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford nailed that. Great Rip Warren movie. I saw it three or four weeks ago. I actually saw it in theaters for the first time. Uh, Fathom Events had a one night, one night only, one showing, 7 o'clock. My friend and I went. It's the 4K restoration and maybe there was maybe 30 of us in the theater. Oh. It was beautiful. Have you ever seen it actually like on a big screen in theaters, Raiders? So they did a release years and years ago of that. But again, not to the quality we have theaters now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if they re-release it now, I didn't have that event up here that I saw. That would be amazing to see on the big oh, yeah. screen nowadays. So I haven't seen it on the big screen since uh, all the theater upgrades. So that would be an incredible experience. Oh, it was... It was charming because it's so clear. You see how gritty it is. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't realize how buggy that movie is. Like, Harrison Ford's standing there with, like, the bazooka towards the end, and you can <laughs> see flies, like, crawling down his face, landing on his knuckles and stuff like that. Don't really see anything that breaks immersion other than, like, once or twice. Like, Indy's on front of a vehicle, and the vehicle, the the um the grill is collapsing, and he's starting to go under. You can kind of see that when he's straddling the wheel while holding on the grill. You saw there's a little harness he's on, the sink I was on. Uh, when he's being dragged underneath the vehicle, you, there, there's a little tunnel they dug. But it really doesn't break the immersion. It's more like, okay, yeah, because it, it's that big and that clear. But it still just works. Yeah, well, and here's what's special about the Indiana Jones movie is – you used a lot of practical effects back then. And mm-hmm. even today, um, you don't hear a lot of that didn't age well or because it is a great story. It is great performances. We, it is going to be gritty. It's going to be a little bit raw on the side. Um, but the story is so good. The characters are so good that you just ignore everything else in it. And that is what's amazing about the Indiana Jones uh, films in the uh, 80s is that you can pick apart, uh, that doesn't look good, but it's more of yeah. an appreciation of how they did it and how they developed the characters for all three of the movies in unison. Yeah. What did you think of um, Temple of Doom? That one, I don't think I was the right age to like see that movie because I think I, cause I saw, um, since I was born in the mid-80s, 
I kind of all saw them in the 90s when I was younger. I mean, it, you know, so Raiders was just like, oh, Han Solo's in something. This is so good. And then Temple of Doom, I mean, kind of got some laughs out there. But I always knew that something was a little off with the tone. The tone was different. And you got to think, this Raiders was a huge success for, the, for uh, that type of movie. And when you go into Temple of Doom, that was the big blockbuster sequel that they increased the budget, obviously. They uh, had a bigger, brighter script that poked a little bit more fun. They had more fun with it because they had, they deserved, they earned that. Temple of Doom was more commercial to fill seats based on the sequel to give audiences what they wanted. Um, it's definitely not one of my favorites, but I will say it is one of the most more entertaining ones. If you're looking for an Indiana Jones, just popcorn flick pacing on it is rides more like a blockbuster than the Raiders and Last Crusade. But there is definitely, you're absolutely right, a very specific tone difference to it. Yeah, and, and it's famously was made while both Harrison and, uh, I'm not Harrison, while um, Lucas and Spielberg were both going through divorce. So that's why the um, female, the main female character, whose name I'm suddenly forgetting, why she came off as a little, sh Willie, that's right, Willie Scott, why she came off as a little trill. <laughs> <laughs> but you famously do get short round his sidekick, uh, Kihu Wan, who is having such a resurgence in the last year and a half mm -hmm. with... Yep. Um, everything everywhere all at once in his Oscar win, which is well deserved. And then um was it the Chinese born American, I think is that the Disney Plus show that he did? Yes. yes. Yeah, American Born Chinese, which binged out with my wife and what an incredible and interesting show that was. Um but other than that, like the only thing that I find interesting is that if you go back and watch Temple of Doom, Harrison very early in the filming of it injured his back mm, and yeah. so he was out for about a month month and a half and but they kept filming because his stand-in looked so much like him same height build um his stunt double as well just they look remarkably similar that unless that it's that spielberg said unless you have a shot directly on face shot of indy it's almost certainly the stunt double because even like the mm. profile shots of the side of the face and having like uh, a few years back read that and then watching it, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of like dubbing here. <laughs> you can say that about the new one too, but <laughs> okay, I'll hold off. But yeah. you, you also look and you made a good point though. Um, you take Lucas and Spielberg that were going through divorces because uh, Temple of Doom had a darker tone. And keep mm -hmm. in mind, this was during the time that people had a big question mark of the rating system, violence in movies. There was this huge censorship of uh, what's appropriate for we, what age. So, and there's a huge history between this era of when Temple of Doom came out to the PG-13 rating. And when we get to the climax of, or the last act of uh, Temple of Doom, it's, it's significantly more violent than the other movies that we'll see. And it mm -hmm. really resonates with that dark tone of the creator um, on how artists really reflect their work into their screenplay or to their vision of a movie. It's a direct reflection. And that is, to your point, a very good uh, point to a tone difference in that Indiana Jones, that hero aspect. We see him in a different yeah. light. Isn't the other fam famous story that because of this movie, we got PG-13? It was a combination. You had Temple of Doom, you had Gremlins. So a lot of these uh, movies Gremlins. really raise that question of the rating. So, I mean, you can take a handful of these movies within these couple of years, and these have a huge significance to uh, the rating system history. But what is a kind of a shame to me, but it's not a shame to me, they're all fantastic movies, oh, yes. is these are the ones that get the most attention um, just because they kind of change the way we see movies nowadays, not necessarily because of the actual picture itself, um, but because they had the most exposure out there. So Gremlins, another Spielberg-produced film. Right. And then they took five years off because there's only three years between Raiders and Temple. And then we got five years later, we got Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, which we had a young River Phoenix. I'm Unfortunately, mm -hmm. he passed away only a few years later, so he was always young. But uh, we got that really just nice beginning, about 15, 20-minute intro, which really – I don't know why that intro I give such a pass to, but something like the Solo movie. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's where he got the jacket. That's where he got Chewbacca. That's where he got the gun. That's where he got his last name. Oh, thank you. We're explaining all that. This movie explains all that. His name's actually not Indiana. That's you know, the dog. that's where he got the hat. That's where he got the scar. That's where he picked up, you know, started figuring out how to use a whip kind of thing. Um, he's always been this kind of like, you know, he was he's literally a boy scout, mm-hmm. you know. But that first fifteen minutes just so works. Yeah, it does. And what I really enjoyed about that, you can take the uh, Indiana Jones lookalike or whatever it may be that the guy who's stealing the uh, artifact in the beginning and you Mm -hmm. can it is so easy to make him just the villain. It's easy to make him the bad guy and kind of spider web the story around that. But you don't hate him. He actually ends his relationship with Indy almost on a positive note, even though Indy loses. And it's almost an inspiration. If that character came in and treated him, his character as a villain or treated Indy horribly, would we mm-hmm. have gotten the Indiana Jones that we got? Or did this character actually inspire based on the situational and based on how the situation was handled afterwards? It works because the characters are likable. It works mm-hmm. because it has that sense of adventure that not everybody that is a bad guy, I would say. That is Richard Young. He was a bit of a character actor in the 70s and 80s. That's And that role is one of his last roles. Apparently he retired to become a photographer. Wow. I mean, he is the bad guy. They're chasing a kid. But it's it, that little parting of like, you know, hey, you know, like you tried hard, kid. You, and he gives him his hat and he puts it on. It's a beautiful scene. Yeah. You know, it's just it's it's well done and even the brief introduction of sean connery as you know henry senior yeah you don't see him you see his hand you see he's working on something you get like sean connery um telling him like you know count to 10 or uh, count to 10 or 20 no 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 in greek you know <laughs> it's great and then i was actually rewatched that um uh, the Last Crusade over the weekend with my wife. This is Sean Connery post his um, 007 James Bond role, just after winning a supporting Oscar for The Untouchables. Mm. So, I mean, this is still the height of his fame. You yeah. Know, he would crest down a little bit. I mean, he still had some hit, some big hits in the, in the 90s. Obviously, The Rock, probably his last big, big hit, which is about eight, nine years later, mm-hmm. with a young, with a, back when young Michael Bay... You know, before he got all bay you know, yeah. which, which rumor is apparently The Rock, random tangent, but on The Rock, apparently Sean Connery, which it's a Disney produced film. Yeah. At one point they came down going like, what are you guys doing with all this budget? What's with all these explosions? This is not what he proved. And Connery said, like, let the young man do his fucking job <laughs> or something like that. But then also Connery apparently would just straight up tell um, Michael Bay He's not just going to shoot certain things. He's like, I'm not going to do that. Or like, that is stupid. Or something like that. So like, he kind of was like, you know, he was the star. Nicolas Cage was on the rise. And the movie was probably so good because Sean Connery didn't take bullshit. <laughs> well, and he doesn't take bullshit from a young, at that time, Bay was a young director. And yeah. how can you say no to Sean Connery's accent? I mean, if you yeah. had a voice like that, you would. Totally, just listen to everything he said. Yeah, and, you know he'd been doing. You know he'd been. He's, what, the The Rock was maybe like what thirty five, thirty six years in his career, something yeah. like that. Um, but anyways, he's only twelve years older than Harrison Ford, but he's playing the older, you know, the older gentleman. And it's such an interesting role because there are moments during the Last Crusade where Indy is not Indy, mm-hmm. and Sean Connery is not Sean Connery. Like one one of the, my favorite scenes is of course the introduction comes in, you know uh, they're using Nazis again they're looking for the Holy Grail, Indy breaks into this room he gets a vase smashed on his head turns out it's his dad, you know this is deep into the movie like maybe an hour into a two hour movie and there's Harry you know there's Sean Connery, and he's just jovial remarking on like the oh it's a fake it's not like actually from the Ming Dynasty oh this. And like, what, my, why would my son bring my notebook over here, calling him Junior, and he gets mad? And there's all these just – it's such against type for Sean Connery, and he's so endearing. Well, if you look as the movie progresses, you have that first meet where it's awkward. You know, it, 
it's realistic where you have this father and son. They don't know how to interact with each other. Mm -hmm. Harrison Ford's still like that little boy that needs to act properly in front of his dad. But then as it goes on and they have their adventure together, that father-son time, you notice a character change in Sean Connery where it's almost borderline goofy. Where I remember the scene where he gets into the tank and he does Mm -hmm. that secret handshake with, what's his name, Percy, I believe it is. Um, Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And he just has this like new life to him. And you can tell that as they go on this adventure, they're discovering each other out and bringing out the best of their both their personalities. And that's how good the writing is in last crusade. But yeah. And and there is, I I don't know. um, Apparently Connery ad libs some of the lines and some of the stuff he did, like the, the famous line of like, um, it's like, dad, how'd you know she she was a Nazi? Uh, She talks in her sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently that was like a just he just it was some other line and he but he put that in there and he had that little like mischievous grin, but <laughs> when they get on the blimp and India is trying to say Dad you ignored me you let me do my own thing and he's just like well I I give you independence I taught you self sufficiency he's like well you never wanted to talk about anything and he's like okay talk and yeah. he gives like this kind of like bug eyed kind of like I'm giving you the floor what do you want from me mm-hmm. son and Harrison is just he just has nothing there's just a blankness and i really believe that is either the screenwriter i think the screenwriter spielberg harrison ford and connery probably have all had something conversation like that with their children where they just had a moment where like we never talk we never talk about real things we're always talking about like think what i'm doing in school or like who i'm going to go see or you know stuff like that you never actually want to talk with me about anything important in my life other than schoolwork or something like that. And it's like, what do you want to talk about? Anything. Bring it up, kid. And you have nothing. Because you don't know what you want to talk about. You know you want to talk, but you don't know what you want to talk about. Well, this... And we're I'm going to tie this in again, because this is Spielberg um, at his almost best when it comes to storytelling. Because we got to remember, Spielberg grew up as a young Jewish boy in school. He had a home life where he wanted to be a filmmaker, which wasn't the most popular uh, decision back then. Yeah. And you take the acceptance. He, Families are the ones, human nature, we want to please. We want to please our parents. We want to please those that teach us. And you look at that blimp scene, and that's what Jones is really looking for, is that acceptance. How do you ask a father that raised you that is more, that raised you more strict that you just want to be accepted. You want your father to say, I accept you, I love you, I'm proud of you. And this mm. is kind of the feelings we see from Spielberg adding his own touch to it. And this is the beauty of that in that writing is that you have to read between the lines of relatability. And I think this is one of the magic touches in the storytelling and what makes this so special is the subtle piece of it that gets into your psyche that really gets the audience to relate to it. Oh, I completely agree. I think you were just so right about that. I, I, I'm still entranced by the ending where, because it's not like big blockbustery. There's not a minecart ride. There is not like the the um the standoff with you know you have the bazooka and then you know we're gonna blow up the ark and the ark is all melting. Everybody's, it's just they have to solve a puzzle, and I I love so much that they're on the they're on the blimp. And they're going, and they're like, what do these mean? And it's like, we don't know. <laughs> but then they do this beautiful cu- uh, juxtaposition of cutting back and forth between the wounded Sean Connery, who's just, you know, shot, Henry, you know, senior, talking them out while um, Indy's thinking them aloud. And they're both coming to the same conclusions. Yeah. Meaning that either one of them probably would have solved this, but it's because they both know it so well. They're both ingrained with this history that even though they're apart, they're solving it together, mm-hmm. and it's just a, it's just beautiful, you know. The right, you know, the pentaman kneels before God, and then it's like, but Jehovah starts with a J, you know, <laughs> you know, or you know, or you know, the whole, um, yeah. Anyway, when, yeah, it's I mean, so when, beautiful. <laughs> when it comes to like, Last Crusade was the first movie I was taught in film lit. This one holds a special place to me because to me, it's one of my favorites because it's so meaningful. It has a stronger message. It kind of takes what we have from the first two movies and integrates it into a nice finale. 
um, where we do have the crowd-pleasing ending that just feels good. It's emotional. It's action. It has everything you would want from an Indiana Jones movie, but it adds 10 times the heart that we got from Temple of, the, Temple of Doom. So mm-hmm. The Last Crusade is ultimately my favorite movie just because it's a perfect yeah. summary of the other two. Now, I think of all the movies, it is. I mean, I, I think objectively, you could say Raiders is stronger. Yeah. It is tighter. It has more of an impact. I mean, how often has that ending been um been spoofed with, you know, top men, you know, <laughs> in the big warehouse? But it's just a lovely movie. And I, I just, I love the ending so much. Riding out to the sunset. All, yeah, riding out to the sunset, great. you find out that he's like, why do you keep calling him Junior? Because he's Henry Jones Jr. <laughs> it's like the dog was called Indiana, which is another thing. Any movie filmed nowadays, with that beginning, with when he goes into the young River Phoenix, goes into the house, pets the dog, you know yep. somebody would would like slow down. Some um, prop designer or whatever would have had the collar. The collar would have said Indiana, you know, or something like that. And someone's like, well, they told us at the beginning of the movie or something. No, you don't see that. He just comes in. He just rubs the dog's head. You don't even really see a neck or, I mean, the full body. And he scruffs the dog's head. And that's the callback. I mean, you go like, oh, yeah, there was a dog at the beginning of the movie. I want to say how special that beginning is really quick. We're taking a 1989, you know, eight years, I believe, after the uh, original Raiders. Um, it has to, almost a decade later, it has to touch the new generation. And what I really appreciate about that is that we did get a spinoff of young Indiana Jones in a TV yes. series, which to me, I religiously watched that show. And I think mm-hmm. it's on Disney Plus now, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, um, I did not know that. And it, it's one of those that maybe doesn't age as well as the first season, absolutely. Um, but it is there for the younger generation to be introduced to the Indiana Jones and to really get excited about the, watching the older stuff. And that's what I loved about that beginning is that it really did translate into really touching the new generation of Indiana Jones fans. Oh, certainly. I, I, I have just nothing to say because that's just all so true. Yeah, it's a great show. So we jump ahead 18, 19 years, 19 years. And they bring back Indiana Jones with Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Now, I have two of my favorite movie-going experiences within this time frame, within about a five-year time frame. One of them I will, if I ever convince you to, when whenever they announce whoever the new James Bond is going to be, you and I will do a James Bond retrospective go through like most of the movies and I will tell you my favorite movie theater James Bond experience which involves oh I can't my wait. wife but this one I will say is my second favorite because so you know leading up to it Indiana Jones was pre CGI um his his outfit is famously in the Smithsonian he had to go to the Smithsonian and say can we please have the jacket hat and whip back please and the Smithsonian's like, don't damage this crap. <laughs> you know, um, there were rumors that the whip was all going to be digital because, you know, Harrison's in his 60s and, riot- and like, um, insurance writers and blah, 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 blah. Spielberg was like, listen, I promise, guys, I'm, we're going to use digital very, very discreetly, only when necessary. And it starts off with the CGI gopher popping out of Paramount, the Paramount Hill, and then some stuff happens. We get it like you know, there's a there's a chase, there's a raid. It's the Russians this time. You see the Dark of the Covenant briefly, little teaser thing, and then the nuke the fridge as the famous <laughs> meme happens. And I am, I remember as the I I thought to myself as the atom bomb is exploding, I'm like. And you know, and uh, Indiana Jones is there. That's actually a very beautiful shot. Mm-hmm. It's a cinema. It's a it's a it's a ushering Indiana into the nuclear age kind of thing. Yeah. But between the jokes and the cracks and the tease and the bad CGI and all this crap, I'm livid. <laughs> I'm pulsing with anger. I haven't said anything, but I'm pulsing with anger. And as the nuclear bomb explosion is happening and the mushroom cloud and that beautiful shot, my wife touches my shoulder and says, it's going to be okay. It's (laughs) just a movie. She apparently could feel my rage vibrating out of my body. (laughs) 
I have a visual of you just <laughs> clenching the armrest, ready to get up. Just oh, oh. <laughs> that I will say that movie is not without merit. I think there's actually some wonderfully done scenes. I think there are some good chase sequences. There's some good music. I just don't. I don't think that you can put lightning back in a bottle after 20 years. Yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. I mean. Here's kind of here's my take. Well, first, let me get into this. I, I'm going to quote mm-hmm. one of my favorites, uh, Roger Ebert, yeah. in his review. Yeah. He gave it three and a half stars. Mm-hmm. So now his point, and I think we can all relate to this because we've all have kind of reviewed films this way. You take movies that come out a decade or more later. They are more unsuccessful than successful. I mean, it, we have over a decade to get our hopes up to prepare to create our own vision of what this movie would be. And he compared it to like eating four pounds of sausage. How do you compare the first pound to the last pound? Obviously you're digesting the first whole pound of sausage. You go to the second pound. It's not going to feel as good. The third pound. And by the fourth pound, you're, you have this expectation of what it should taste like. But at the end of the day, you are just miserable because you're full of sausage. (laughs) <laughs> so god i love you Bert. <laughs> but he it's he's accurate in that aspect and yeah. when we talk the evolution of film this is the time where we had a lot of cheesy movies we had a lot of times where we have to have that big summer blockbuster they, we had to appease everybody and they weren't out to necessarily appease the indiana jones fans they had to have a plan for the next generation and somewhat satisfied the old Indiana Jones fans. Now, where this failed is they force-fed the audience what they really didn't across the board, hinted at Mutt uh, by Shia LaBeouf to potentially replace Harrison Ford, Mm -hmm. which is an impossible feat to do, and you will never prove that to any Indiana Jones fan that that's possible. And Shia LaBeouf is at the bottom of the barrel of anybody I would even consider to replace Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. And... It, it's one of those that it didn't have the same tone. We talked about Temple of Doom. It didn't have the same tone. This one reminded me of 1993's Matinee, where you're going to the theater. The tone is similar, but you're going to the theater to see that cheesy uh, movie full of fighting, sword fighting, flying, or swinging monkeys. You're in the woods <laughs> swinging from vines with monkeys, fire ants. This is the movie at that time that a pleased Spielberg and wanted to please the audience as well because it is that definition of the cheesy 40 50s serial movies like Jungle Raiders King Solomon's Mind Secret of Incas this went out to solve two separate generations and this is what people had a problem with and my last point because I know you want to say something to this Alex (laughs) is the fact we take Phantom Menace I was a projectionist at that time when Phantom Menace came out I can tell you, every day for a month, it was sold out showings. And at mm-hmm. that time, the reactions were positive. But when people mm-hmm. festered on it and online came about more po- with popularity, that's when people started to talk about the flaws and all, all that. But Crystal Skull, at that time, did have more positive than negatives. Uh-huh. But now that we get into the nitty gritties of it, that's uh, kind of where we have problems with it. And society really contributes to that, too. There are flaws in Crystal Skull. Don't oh, get me yeah. wrong. But to me, it was it did the job that it exactly intended. But one, the ending killed it. And two, Shia yeah. LaBeouf killed it. My main problem with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is actually, I think you you nailed it pretty well is that it had to solve two things and it kind of half solved both. Yeah. Um, which I do kind of wonder because, all right, so we have, um, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. What is that actor's name? I'm so, I'm forgetting. The top Liam of Neeson. We have Liam Neeson who's in his sixties. who's doing action flicks. And for the most part, it's like, he's still buying it. And Harrison yeah. Ford, when they filmed this movie was 64, 65, something like that. But of course it was like, well, you're 64, 65. But, I mean, Harrison Ford has put a lot of years on him, on yeah. himself, you know. Famously with, you know, he likes a horseback ride, he has helicopters, he has planes, he's crashed his plane repeatedly, you know. 
he's never been a super ripped guy. He's just always been a kind of lanky, fit guy. So, you know, maybe that has something to do with it. Don't know what his personal party lifestyle is, but he's got some mileage on him. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if maybe they would have just treated him more like, no, he's just going to still do his stuff versus some of the jokes. I, I don't know. But my main problem with Chris's Skull is just the ending. Like, yeah. I, it goes too far. It with, really does. You know, the the you know the the pyramid and yes there's aliens and they're merging and blah 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 all that stuff I I've returned to it maybe once or twice I just I I don't have a nostalgic love for it but like you said with the Phantom Menace I like the Phantom Menace you know mm-hmm. it came out it came out I loved it I started my dislike of the prequels really started with the clone wars where i'm just kind of like this is weird like yeah to me the math it didn't work up for the clone wars like oh we have a you know we have half a million clones with another million or two on the way i'm like you got like 75 billion star systems and you're thinking you're going to solve the war with one million clones <laughs> like you're yeah. gonna need like 10 to take a planet you know <laughs> just some of the math wasn't working you know some of the weirdness of kind of things don't work out for me especially it's like isn't Coruscant, like an entire a planet that's an entire city, isn't there like 300 billion people on that? Like, you're gonna 1 million, clo- you know. <laughs> and I saw that opening weekend, and then, like, what is it, the second or third week commercials on TV were Huda Man, Yoda Man showing oh, Yoda with his lightsaber? <laughs> yes, I think, I think that Pepsi was... had a field day with that one. <laughs> yeah, I think when I was a, when I was a you know, because I was a teenager at that time, I, th- I think I was like, ooh, this is cringy. <laughs> <laughs> this is not good. But I I I saw, you know, Revenge of the Sith uh yeah. in theaters. I, I loved it. So I I don't have a disdain for them. I have a mild disdain for Crystal Skull just because it never there was no satisfaction for me in what yeah. I was seeing. Yeah. Love Clay Blanchett, though. She did a great job. She did. And it's one of those that I will literally turn off the ending. I'll watch the entire thing because to its, I hate to say defense because I'll probably get flack for that, but it is an entertaining movie um, yeah. for the most part. Um, do I, cons- me personally, do I consider it part of the Indiana Jones original trilogy? No. I no. like to view it as an original, just silly, 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 fun popcorn flick that if you watch it all the way up to the last 15 minutes, it's, a decent watch when it comes to pure, just silly entertainment. All right. Justin, Alex, we waited 15 years. They give us another one. Shit. I'm, I'm going to, this is just full spoilers because I'm angry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to go down. I have a few problems and this is going to, this is just, just going to lay it out flat. Here we go. <sighs> They spent $300 million on this damn movie. They spent 25 minutes of the movie, which I'm assuming is like $50 million of the budget, de-aging Harrison Ford to 1945. I'm assuming that because it's feedback of people are like, well, indeed, like they kind of hinted that it, you know, in Crystal Skull that he did all that crazy crap during the 40s with the Nazis. Why didn't we get that movie? Blah, 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 blah. First off, if they're going to make an Indiana Jones movie, they should just make Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. That is an amazing video game. This fantastic video game. The plot is amazing. It's won, it won prizes for its plot for its graphics, and has been in continuously in production. That's its own thing. Or hell, fuck it. Just give us one of the young Indiana Jones Chronicles adventures. You already de-aged him for 25 minutes. If you can de-age him for 25 minutes, and you can de-age Samuel L. Jackson for an entire for an entire uh, Miss Marvel movie, or I'm sorry, Captain Marvel movie, you can do it for Harrison Ford. Now, here's my problem for the first 25 minutes. 80-year-old Harrison Ford does not fucking sound like 40-year-old Harrison Ford. <laughs> And that pisses me off. Any time that he wasn't shouting something, which, you know, it was the gravelly, gr- grumbly, I've had six scotches to in this morning for breakfast voice, and it pissed me off because that broke my immersion. But then, on top of all of that, they apparently decided to do a 90s render cutscene of him running across a train in the dark. You're filming in the dark to hide how bad the CGI is. Why does it look like it was... The 1997 Titanic deck scene <laughs> as they're sailing out of the ocean, which Cameron refuses to update the graphics, which, yes, were good at the time, but look like crap now, <laughs> of stick figures walking across the top of 
But on top of all that, I love Mads Mikkelsen. He yes. makes my heart sing. He is Hannibal. He can eat me anytime he wants. I'm fine with that. Please turn that into a song. <laughs> <laughs> but he took a fucking pipe to the face from a watershed on the top on a high speed train and is alive. How is he alive? I've seen that people have snipped that they snipped that moment from the you know and put it online of like how when he came back I was like oh wow Mads is actually okay I guess he's not the villain for this thing he took it just took a fucking thing to the face at seventy five miles an hour straight to it <laughs> okay oh he's alive okay is it brother is this a clone are they doing a clone one are they going back in time they're going back in time to bring Mads back to life his clone brother his twin brother is going back in time because his brother was actually the good scientist but it was actually really good at his job but no it's actually breathe breathe Alex we'll get through it we got this then Disney knows only one thing to do with with a with with a person who is a who is a hero above the age of 50 you're a drunk destitute piece of shit <laughs> luke skywalker apparently after defeating the empire uh, defeating the empire gets scared of his nephew and tries to kill him cuts himself off from the force and won't even show up to a fight at the end of a movie <laughs> han solo gets princess leia pregnant and realizes alimony's alimony and child support are easy to ignore if you're a if smuggler and take off <laughs> indiana jones apparently pisses off his 30-year-old son so much that his son joins the army, walks into a hail of gunfire bullets, and causes a divorce. So much so that he, that as we have seen in movie one, movie two, movie three, and movie four, he is a great professor. People love it. In fact, the first movie, his students <laughs> have I Love You written across yeah, on the eyelids. <laughs> on the eyelids. What is it? The third movie, like, he actually has to escape out of a window because people want to see him so much. But no, this one, the class is empty. No one is paying attention. Apparently, the finals are like tomorrow. No one's paying attention. And... <sighs> okay, Alex. So. <laughs> Please well, talk, Justin. <laughs> so let's look at this. All right. So. I, I'll start off on a positive because everything else is probably going to be negative. So, uh, so I can see the the classroom scene. I did appreciate because that's the fallen. How dare hero. you? <laughs> that's that's the fallen hero aspect of it, and it's done poorly. But at least they're shoving it in there. Um, and then we take him being grumpy, quieting the neighbors down from the loud music. I mean, he that, they're that trying. That was pretty funny. And they're trying to create this new character so everybody can adjust to him. And it's not the other way around. They're not going to keep, they already know there's no way they're going to portray Harrison Ford as the same ball of energy we had. So they're trying to adjust the audience um, for us to cater to them. And that's what I really had a problem with, even though I did appreciate how they executed the classroom with the fallen hero and how things changed. I think it, I think, it's a hit or miss. I think it was lazy, but I think it was done pretty well in that classroom scene. But I think they tried to do it too hard and they worked too hard to get that message across. Um, but you're right. We went from a, de a crescendo through uh, the original trilogy and now we have grumpy old man. And I like the fact that you brought up the uh, de-aging. So the de-aging, again, for what it was, I thought it, they did an okay on the visual of it. But the audio was just so off. It's like, what is the point? Just why don't you just splice scenes together from the previous films and do it that way? Because the audio is so noticeably off. It's like, I don't know. I started piecing it together in my head watching it. I'm like, well, maybe it's because he drank from the like the Holy Grail. Maybe <laughs> maybe his his voice changed, but his body doesn't. I don't know. I was trying to justify it. When Lucasfilm had Mark Hamill come back for um, Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian. Mark Hamill's talked about how, you know, they, you know, he was bodied, you know, he was there on set, blah, 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 blah body doubles, et cetera, et cetera, all this crap. But to make his voice match, what apparently they did is they, t they had him speak. Then they put with a processor, they got all his audio from the original trilogy. And then they had the processor kind of blend them. Hmm. 
So okay. they use like some matching software, and that's why he sounds like him, you know, a young version of himself. It's him, but they've pitched things and blended it and blah blah blah. You have three hundred million dollars, and you can't afford to do that with Harrison Ford. So they ran out of money, is what you're saying? <laughs> Get some working girl Harrison Ford. Get some clear and present <laughs> danger Harrison Ford audio. Make that shit work. Well, it. <sighs> It's sad because this is supposed to be, and it kicks us off on the wrong foot on this, because this is supposed to be a celebratory grand finale exit to Harrison Ford, and it feels like I'm going to a stranger's funeral from start to finish. Where it just... <laughs> Damn. <laughs> well, it's like, right when we first see Indiana Jones, okay, we're going on an adventure, then you see Indiana Jones, then he just talks, and it's just, like, not the same guy. And then we see him in person old, and you're like, what happened when you were young? I miss that. And now you just look like you don't want to be there. You want to go home and take a nap. And then you're, I don't know. I could say more offensive things, but I'm trying to hold myself. I, all right. So let's, okay. So the plot of this movie, I'm actually mostly okay with. It is a kitchen sink movie. You have the tall mm -hmm. brooding Nazi. You have the Nazis back. You have the tall, super muscular Nazi. You have the, you know, travel by map thing. You have, you know, we're going like three or four different places. We have a car chase. We have a motorcycle chase. We have a chain chase, uh, train chase. You know, we have the boat sequence. We have, you know, beautiful locales. We have the MacGuffin that you're chasing being stolen and pinned back and handed back and stolen. And you're solving puzzles. You're going through, you know, caverns, callbacks to history. It, there's so much of it that is just... On the surface, it should work, but I now understand James Mangold, the director. I now understand his crux, uh, mm. crutch, whatever. What he does, what he doesn't do well. Yeah, and that's action. Yeah, like the he's had he had two movies. He had the Wolverine, and then he had Wolverine Origins, which now Ford versus Ferrari is fantastic. Yeah. He can film cars very well. Okay, he can film a car, but when it comes to actually filming people, he can't do it. Like I remember watching Logan in theaters and there were, you know, the fight scenes were mostly good, blah, 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 worked within the limitations. He's supposed to be an old man, but at the end, I love the sequence with X 13 where they're first capturing her. And I think I was like, oh my God, they're not holding back. They just shot a 13 year old girl with a spear through the chest and they showed it. <laughs> I was like, damn. But then that never came back. Like the end fight of Wolverine on Wolverine on X-23, they held back. Like he just chucked her away a few times. I'm like, why don't you show claws going into her? Why don't you, I mean, you, you know, our Wolverine just de-aged and went hulking. And I heard that scream where he bellows out and you're finally seeing the berserker Wolverine running through the forest, slicing people. And then he holds back. He doesn't know how to unrestrain himself. And that is what I felt through these like 95 different overly long action sequences, which is, is that he doesn't know how to film people being kinetic he can film the cars being kinetic. He can film the motorcycle being kinetic. But when it came to the people moving within the pieces, I never felt that he could really encapsulate what the energy of the moment was. And in when Spielberg has the camera, he knows, yes, the action is secondary to the people's movements. This one, it's like, oh, yeah, that car is still going. Oh, yeah, you ran down some stairs. It, these pieces were missing humanity. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Now, with uh, Mangold, he is a very structured director. So mm -hmm. he has his style all the way from, I think his first movie was Copland with Sylvester Stallone, if I remember correctly. And you get a lot of that same tone here when it comes to it. So there's very little distinction between all of his movies. The story is going to be different. The effects are going to be different. But the style he shoots is very much the same. Now, when we take Spielberg and Indiana Jones was meant for Spielberg. This was the type of style and storytelling that was just his vibe. He knew how to integrate his characters with his settings, and he knew how to give people that crowd-pleasing energy of action that's not overbearing. It's an adventure. It's not a pure action thriller. He went for adventure, not the thrill ride, per se, of really mm -hmm. integrating his characters into it. 
Van Gogh doesn't have that in his body. It's not in his genes to do that, that he's shown with the work in the past. And even when we see all the characters traveling from one area to another, they're dragging their feet. And by that time, we don't care where they go. It's one scene shot. It almost runs like a PowerPoint presentation between scenes is they might as well go on a commercial jet, have a meal, have a drink, because we care just as much. They can go to each location, but there's nothing that makes those locations unique. There's nothing special about it. They could have stayed in one location and it would have had the same effect as this movie. So the the scene that actually worked the most for me, it was actually, there's two of them that actually worked for me. One is when they bring in sudden Antonio Banderas, mm-hmm. which I'm really disappointed. It actually wasn't the um, the boat guy from the first movie. I forget uh, forget that person's name. When he says, like, oh, I know a guy with a big, beautiful boat. I thought it was going to be that guy, you know, the yeah. whole, like, the, the guy who was getting them out and then the Nazis capture him. And I actually felt that sequence from getting on the boat to Indy showing humanity by talking about if he could travel back in time, what would he do? And he talks about his relationship with Marion and Mutt and his regrets. Mm-hmm. That worked. Yeah. And then you had an unusual scene for an Indiana Jones film, which is they went scuba diving to this old Roman wreck. And that was actually, I, I like that. It was fun. I did. I enjoyed that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, sure. The eels, you know, the kid goes, eels, they look like big snakes. It's like, <laughs> we, we get it dude but that worked and when they actually get the dial together and go through the portal they the sky portal i was like okay are we gonna have like indie meet up with indie and old indie and young indie are gonna defeat nazis again because that's that's, that's kind of that's kind of fun that sounds that's kind of that weird yeah yeah that doesn't kind of work <laughs> i mean do a little back to the future too here yeah okay <laughs> And then I, the, the 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 Roman history nut in me, smiled because there was ballista and there were trebuchets and there was Greek fire and there was Romans <laughs> and there was Greeks and it's the Battle of Syracuse and Archimedes is there. I did not see the giant claws picking up boats, but I was like, this this works for me. I don't know why the hell you have a like a, you have a you have a Nazi bomber. They can fly at 15,000 feet, flying at four feet above the ground, getting shot by ballista repeatedly. I don't know why you're doing that, but I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Well, we take that. So I'll start with the uh, shipwreck or the eel scene. Keep in mind, this is the scene that has the most adventure to it. It's the one scene change that really takes us to something different that we haven't really seen. And it's the only scene that probably it's not even Indiana Jones in the co- in the scuba suit. It's stunt doubles or CGI, whatever it may be. And it's the one scene that has the least spoken words. But it works because it has that identity of adventure. It has that one thing that the audience hasn't experienced. And then we get up on the boat where we have that great, that fantastic conversation, that mesmerizing conversation. Oh, yes. With uh, Dr. Baller or Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, with Indy, where his mannerisms, his body language, it's like a comforting, and then it goes into an intensity. It's a roller coaster of a conversation that I really did enjoy that scene. Um, mm-hmm. But again, that's where Harrison Ford takes a step back and doesn't do too much. So a lot of the great scenes we have doesn't even involve Indiana Jones per se. And when we get into the ending, and I think I told you after I saw it, I am torn by it, and I am still torn to date on it. And I'm still trying to debate how I'm going to write it in my review, is I'm not sure about it yet. Um, to a point, I think it's a lit. they rushed it a little bit. I think oh, I yeah. wish I would have liked more. Yeah. And I would have liked a little bit more context so it felt earned. Yes. But right when they go through it, your brain shuts off and you kind of just take in that scenery. I'm looking from edge of the screen to edge of the screen, Mm -hmm. enjoying that. It looks fantastic. And whether or not it makes sense, they kind of go all in with that sci-fi thing that kind of was their kryptonite and crystal skull, Mm -hmm. but they kind of tweaked it a little bit and they made it, they put some emotion behind it. And it is to an extent, an emotional scene Um, that kind of gets ruined uh, with a sucker punch, but you know what? There is a lot of emotional elements to it. It, it kind of reminded me like Jason and Argonauts. Um, was mm. it Harry? Dang, I can't think of his name. The the stop motion um, and uh, creator who did a lot of the like Jason and the Argonauts and um, 
and some of the other movies in the mm-hmm. 60s and 70s where you had yeah. like dinosaurs and stuff like that. It kind of reminded me of that, like that which of what, what I suspect they were trying to aim for by setting it in, in the 60s. Yeah. And it, it really did work for me. But there's an episode of Doctor Who where my my wife and I, we love Doctor Who, and one of the we knew one of the companions was leaving, but then something happened and they, the companions had to say, anyways. But it was a Christmas special with Nick Frost, and he's Santa. She and the companion Clara is traveling with him, with Santa. They're delivering presents and some other stuff. And basically, she decides to stay with it, even though like it's kind of like this memory void kind of thing where if you stay there, you're gonna die kind of thing. Where she's having so much fun after all the stress and struggles of being with the doctor and her own life was kind of like in shambles and all this other stuff about her her companionship was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. She just riding with Santa, delivering presents and kind of falling asleep in his arms, and that's where she wants to be. Mm. and then they undo it with a reshoot in the last like 30 seconds and my friend were like we thought that was the end because we heard that you know the, the companion was thinking about leaving this is probably their final episode and we we couldn't help but think like like if you've been traveling through time and space and your life is terrible and you get this moment to be with santa and just deliver mm. presents and fall asleep in his arms and that's your ending that is a comfort and i thought that's what they were going to kind of do with having yeah. indy just embrace this is the end and i've seen every you know he's all his younger indiana jones adventures all his other ones all this stuff and i thought he was just gonna be like i'm seeing what i teach and i'm seeing the world and this is okay and i don't buy her explanation that like oh you're creating a paradox there's a crash nazi plane 100 feet away from you (laughs) (laughs) i don't think a hat and jacket is gonna make that big of a difference no <laughs> like uh yeah yeah and i totally agree i think that's that's what i thought they were going for um but right when she says that i can understand you know people tearing it apart afterwards of saying yeah you couldn't have done that but then you take the nazi plane like you said but obviously well i shouldn't say obviously i've been surprised before but there probably is not gonna be another indiana jones i mean they've yeah. said it before i mean it's pretty after this one i would imagine this that would have been a better bittersweet ending for me Mm -hmm. where you have the hero the man who spent his entire life running and searching kind of just lay rest to the Mm -hmm. past and i think that would have been a very fantastic uh symbol symbolic uh gesture to harrison ford and to the character but then we get into the ending which i think people would have really missed is the marion um cameo yeah, so it's it, really beautiful yeah it, it it's a double-edged sword i think they gave up one thing to introduce another and i think if they tried to fit her into something else in that movie it just wouldn't work it would feel too thrown in and too forced so i think they had to give up the that ending to get a more satisfying another satisfying one for fans i think you're right so as we kind of wind down and wrap up here i have two little nitpicks one the last shot should have just been the hat. Him snatching the hat off the line, I don't get it. Yeah, that's stupid. I, apparently, he likes to wear the hat while getting intimate <laughs> with his wife because that's what was happening. And then they kind of pan away from it and then he grabs the hat. But Mads Mikkelsen is the scariest motherfucker on the planet, right? His looks alone. He doesn't have to say much. It's just his mere facial and body language that's just creepy as hell that makes a perfect villain. Oh, the the scene with him talking to the um the butler yes in the that that was just derogatory and painful. It made me squirm in my seat. He's not even saying, you know, he's thinking bad things, right. but he's not saying it. He's just kind of the way he's wording it to that presumably African American person is very uncomfortable, especially since you know he's a Nazi. And he's a Nazi who is being celebrated today because he got us to the moon. <laughs> well, and that's that's the scariest piece of it, too, is you take this Nazi that has access to the White House. You have like you have this hateful man. And I think we talked about it before. Is this man that wanted to be better than Hitler? How yeah, terrifying is that? <laughs> yeah, that is his whole story. He wants to get the Dial of Destiny, to go back to 1939, kill Hitler, yay. <laughs> That's a plus. To do a better job. 
that's a bad. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> that's the bad part. Mads, I don't I know if he ever throws a punch in this movie. What is also scary about it is that he, the boat scene you were talking about, which is a great scene. Um, it's where Phoebe Waller bridges Wombat is what Indy calls her. Her name's Helena Shaw. She gets this kind of inspired. She gets these moments where she's talking about they're deciphering this language together. He's doing these intellectual leaps with her. And you do like, and it is kind of, it's weird because Harrison, as you said, he's, he stepped back. He's not really doing much. And it's the two of them, Mads Mikkelsen and, and Wombat, doing the puzzle solving together. Yeah. And it's almost endearing because yeah. She's kind of leading him along, waiting for like people to answer questions. He's answering them, and it's almost like, oh, he is a smart guy. He actually is kind of charming. He's a horrible Nazi, you know, whose henchman every scene must start off with henchman walks into the room, shoots an innocent civilian. <laughs> well, and that's about that Nazi control too. They want to make sure that he's the one in control and he's the one giving the orders. That shows the amount of power he has. He has his own like little. He has his own henchman to do all that for him. He's just yep. a scientist, and like that just shows the amount of control he has. And when we're in that safe scene where they're going back and forth, offering the cigarette, uh, smoking, I think the little details in that to really make the, which is odd, and I hate saying this, but making the audience feel comfortable between a Nazi and Wombat, we have that sense of comfort in the hands of a Nazi. And the if the filmmakers can make the audience feel that comfort, that is smart when it comes to the dialogue and performance of Mads. And I put more credit to Mads than I do the actual script because there's not a lot there other than factual dialogue. Yes, I think this movie's about two and a half hours long. I think yeah. if it was about a brisk 210, maybe they can nudge it down to like 159, cut off some of the action sequences, narrow down the beginning a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the stuff was just a little bit like, look what we can do. Yeah. I think it's a tighter script that could work more and extend that ancient Rome battle by maybe five minutes. Oh, absolutely. I think you can reach something a little bit better. But at this point, I it's a it's a pass, man. I just wait to Disney Plus. Yeah. I mean, with me, I'm gonna kinda go along the same lines. I mean, the title makes sense to me. I mean, the dial of destiny, halfway through, I kept looking at my clock to see when it was gonna be over. So I'm pretty sure the filmmakers had that same kind of idea when creating the title of how we're going to respond to it. And I'm pretty sure most of the people in my screening were checking their watches to see how much more we had to sit through this piece of crap. But pass for me. To quote you, a verdict has been given. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we should both go get another solid drink put on Raiders and enjoy the rest of our evening. <laughs> Absolutely. Avengers! Oh, Fred, that is the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> you can't cut that out either now, Alex. Nope. <laughs> so I'm going to say, if you want to follow Josh and all his injuries, you can follow him at Josh underscore scar and at talking smack pod. You can join our Discord at tsmackpod at gmail.com. I want to thank you to Leo Allen for our musical themes, Beppo and Ritual Aeros Studio for avatars. I'd like to let you guys know that the theme music this week is actually done by AI John Williams, which could do a better score than what we got. <laughs> and of course, Justin, Justin Henson from the Movie Wire. Thank you thank for you having for me. Suffer- oh, thank you for suffering through this with me. Your- My pleasure your podcast is a joy to listen to and i was shocked by some of the movies that you thought were the best and the worst this year on your most recent episode oh can't wait to hear your input on it (laughs) well the music's getting too loud for me to do anything about that darn (laughs) (laughs) i'm really tempted not to edit this 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 episode at all (laughs) yeah it was i think it was pretty spot on Josh is like, hey, did you edit it? Sure, sure did. <laughs> By editing it, you mean I converted it to an MP3? <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part of this is that we can hear each other pretty well. Yeah. But when we actually mix it all together, we can't hear shit right now. <laughs> oh. So I can say, like, Josh is faking it and he won't hear it? 
Oh yeah, Josh is totally faking it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I love Crystal Skull. <laughs> All right, since I know we both got to go quickly, objectively, I'm going to say Raiders, Last Crusade, probably Dio, Tomb Crystal. Mm. So I, so the only reason I put Last Crusade above is Raiders. I could not stand the lack of music in a lot of the action scenes mm, i think okay like it just kind of during like that chase in the village it's just it needed something but the original mm -hmm. is my number two just because the way they wrote the original character and it was at its raw state uh was number two and then i'd go uh, temple of doom crystal skull and of course this one it's kind of like the matrix it's a little bit of diminishing returns but you have your moments yeah but yeah. hands down the first three, of course. Cool. All right. Good night, Justin. All right. Good night. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Of course.